Good morning. Before I jump off into our text for today, I, I do just want to give a quick shout out. I have my mama and my mother-in-law here with me this morning, and that's such a treat. They don't normally get to be in church with me. And so, like Andy said, um, Preston and I were had the privilege of being raised by mothers who showed and exemplified Jesus to us, and we are so grateful for that. But our family runs the gamut this morning, as I know my father-in-law and my dad are, are celebrating their first Mother's Day without their moms. And so we bring all of that, the celebration and the hurt, into this place, and we lay it before Jesus because we know that he meets us here, wherever we are, and that he offers us his love and his grace today. So this morning, I want us to turn our attention to our New Testament reading in Romans chapter 8. Verses 1 through 11, it can be found on the back of your order of worship. Yes, this message today is specifically crafted for these people sitting right here on this front row. I'm talking to you this morning. But I am also talking to everyone in this room. And I do see the time. I'm just going to go ahead and tell y'all. I see the clock. And this is too much of a word that I have felt the Holy Spirit lead me all week to share with you to rush through it. So just buckle in for just a minute. It may be a couple minutes late to lunch, but I think that God has something to say to us today, and I don't want us to miss it this morning. Are we in agreement with that today? Okay, great. All right, so let's start in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, if you'll follow along with me. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk according, not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit Set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you, however, you are not in the flesh. But in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, and anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although your body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit that dwells in you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Recently, I've had several conversations with college students uh, ranging in ages, ranging in classifications that have been struggling to keep the faith in college, struggling to keep their relationship with Christ. Struggling to stay grounded in what they know and have been taught is right. These students that I mentor, 
There's one common thread that I hear in the conversations I have with them. They feel alone. They feel like they're the only one trying to make the decisions that they are trying to make. They feel like they're the only ones that are trying to make decisions that are different from the people around them. And unfortunately, we as the church often still have the mentality that we just go away to college, do what you want to do, and then come on back to the church whenever you get done or when you're ready to start having kids and have a family. And it'll iron itself out, right? We may have a few wrinkles here and there, but it'll iron itself out. And yeah, that's probably true. That's probably true. But I wonder if we sell ourselves short sometimes on the plan that God has for us right now. And this is not exclusive to college students, is it? We don't grow out of this. We don't grow out of this. This is something that we continually struggle with. One of Preston and I's favorite biblical teachers, apologist Rappi Zacharias, says it this way. God is the one who does the humbling. One way or another. You can follow God by humbling yourself. Or you can follow your own way and you eventually will be humbled. Because arrogance is the exact opposite of God's character. He cannot stand it. And so he will humble you. Can I get an amen from anybody who has been humbled before this morning? Right? We've all been there. You can choose your own path, but there will be brokenness and there will be hurt and pain and consequences. Or you can humble yourself before God. You can submit yourself to his will. That's hard work of humbling, of submitting yourself To God's will, but I'm telling you, this brokenness and this humility is a whole lot less painful than the other option. Our passage today in Romans 8 puts it this way in verse 13 For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You will live. You know, there's some things, there's some pain in our lives that is unavoidable. There are some things that happen to us that we cannot control, that we don't have any control over. For example, we may not have control over our family situations. We don't have control over other people, no matter how bad we want to control other people sometimes. I I want to control people. I want everybody to do what I want them to do. I want the plan to go according to the way that I want it to go. We may not be able to control illness or natural disasters as much as we think we're good at our weather system of detecting what's going to happen. We cannot control that. But the problem is, I think we often focus our control in the wrong direction. We try so hard to control the things that we cannot control. And then there's some other areas of our lives that we act like we're helpless in, that I think we might have a little bit more control over. We focus our control in the wrong direction. 
You may be thinking right now, okay, Nicolette, that really doesn't make sense. These guys on the front, we've talked a lot about how you don't work to earn your salvation, right? So how does this make sense? You're telling us to do these things, that there's things that I can do, things I can control, but I thought that I couldn't work to earn my salvation. I think it's very important to make this distinction. Salvation is not earned by works, period. Hands down, no question, salvation is not earned by works, period. It is the free gift of God that is given to us that we only have to receive it. But after we are saved, the Holy Spirit enters our bodies, he moves in, he takes up residence, he takes over our consciousness, and he allows us the power to defeat sin and death in our lives. Y'all, this is not like a bite-sized, fun-sized God. I think that's sometimes how we think about the Holy Spirit. He's this like little mini version of God. No, 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 no. He is God himself, all of God. Not a limited amount of God, all of God comes inside of you if you stand before Jesus and say, hey, I don't want to do this my own way anymore. I really want what you want for me, God. I want that that more than what I want for myself. And the Holy Spirit, God himself, comes up and takes residence inside of your body. Let's take a look back at Romans 8, 2. For the law of the Spirit has set you free from the law of sin and death. What is the law of the Spirit? Paul continues and he tells us that God, by sending his whole own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, condemns sin. God defeated sin and death through Jesus. He continues down in Romans 8, 5 through 6. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Y'all, what if we were able to experience life and peace in this anxious world that we live in. I read an article this week that said um, people below the age of 21 are reporting higher stress levels than adults. Hands down. Like through the roof, the difference in the stress levels. At a point in your life when you have the least amount of responsibility that you will ever have. The responsibilities only get more and more and more. But stress levels are getting higher and higher and higher. What if we could experience life in peace? Y'all, I think sometimes we feel like it's not even possible. I think we feel defeated before we even get started. I think some situations we find ourselves in, we never intended to be in. We may take one step, a real innocent step, and before we know it, we're five steps down this road that we never even intended to be on. And we look back and we say, how did we even get here? I didn't mean to get there. How did I get there? We didn't plan to end up dependent on substances. We didn't plan to allow these substances to let us make choices that we would rather later regret. In these conversations with college students that I mentioned earlier, I feel like so many of them feel like they're the only ones. They say, Nicolette, I'm the only one trying to save myself for marriage. I'm the only one who isn't getting wasted drunk every weekend. And y'all, the church, the church should be the voice to say, there is another way. 
There is another way. Did you know you don't have to sleep with your boyfriend or your girlfriend with this newfound freedom that you have? Did you know that you don't have to smoke jewels and become addicted to nicotine or drugs? If you don't know what a jewel is, Google it, but they're running rampant in our high schools, our middle schools, and college campuses. Kids are getting addicted to nicotine like that without even realizing it. Did you know you don't have to do that? You don't have to look for other things to to depend on, things to fill you up, adults in the room. Did you know as a business person that you don't have to do business unethically, that you don't have to cheat to be successful, to get to the top? Wherever you are in life. And I think there's a myth. There's a myth that if you follow Christ, your life is going to be boring. You're going to miss out on the college experience. Or you're going to miss out on being young and living. And that's just not true. It's just not true. What you're going to miss out on is a lot of hurt and a lot of pain and a lot of unnecessary things in your life. And what you're going to gain is the fullness of Christ, the assurance of being in his presence. And then I have a few of these college students. They come to me and they say, Nicolette, I've blown it. And I don't know what to do. And y'all, I struggled with this message because I felt a very strong conviction to talk and deal with sin and temptation this morning. But what I don't want to happen in this message, and what I was so fearful of, it's not when you mess up. It's not if you mess up, right? It's when you mess up. Because you're going to mess up. Everybody in this room, we mess up all the time. So I don't want you to hear me say, you've got to be perfect. You've got to do this, 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 and this. I'm saying that when you mess up, you remember, you memorize, you put it in memory. Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is you. That is you, church. There is no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus. So when we mess up, we repent. We repent. The moment we realize it, repentance is this big word and we try to make it all of this, but it's very, very simple. We turn away from our sin and we turn to God. And in that moment, when we do that, our sins are forgiven. They are washed away by the blood of Jesus. They are gone and they are not yours anymore. Romans 8, 9 says, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. The you here is you. It's all of us. Paul is talking to believers. He says, if you don't have the spirit of Christ, you do not belong to God. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is alive because of righteousness. Whose righteousness? It's not our righteousness. We don't have anything right or good in us. It's God's righteousness. And it's available to us by the work of Jesus on the cross. The work of his redemption. We're talking about a lifestyle here of living in the spirit. Not that we turn and we follow these fleshly desires a couple of times, right? We're talking about when we look at your whole life. Are you living in the spirit Going after seeking God, wanting what he wants for your life? Or are you living in the flesh and going after exactly what you want? Tunnel vision, what I want and nothing else. That's what we're talking about here. 
And the simple truth is, is found in verse 11 of Romans 8. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit that dwells in you. Dwells in you. Y'all, we are not weak. We are not helpless. We are not victims. No matter how the world tries to tell us that we are victims, we are not victims of our choices, of our situations, of our circumstances, even the ones that we cannot control. We are victors. We are more than conquerors through him who loves us. I want us to flip over to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to read verses 10 through 18. My voice is going in and out on me this morning. Y'all bear with me. Joe read it to us. I'm going to blow through it pretty fast, and I want you to listen to it, okay? Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to take stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day. And having done all to be able to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and put the helmet of salvation on your head and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Did you catch the action words in this passage? Be strong. Put on, wrestle against, take up, stand firm. Again, put on, praying at all times, keep alert, persevere. This passage is full of action statements, things that we should do. Because we will not resist Satan by sitting idly by. Won't happen. It will not happen. And where we get confused is we try to resist Satan by our own strength instead of by the power of the Holy Spirit. Every day, y'all, every day, before we go out into the world, we got to suit up. We got to put on the armor of God. I'm not sure if you caught this, but there's only one offensive weapon listed out in the lineup of heavenly spiritual weapons that we are given in the armor of God. The rest of the weapons that are listed are defense weapons. It's shields and um, belt and breastplates and things to protect us, to shield us, defend us. The only offensive weapon we have is the sword of the spirit. Paul says it's the word of God. The word of God and the spirit of God work together in us to allow us to be able to stand against Satan. We are told that we can actively go after him. With the sword of the spirit. Y'all, there is great irony in the power 
that we find in humility, brokenness, and surrender. Okay, so I have a little bit of a confession to make this morning. I've been bitten. I've been bitten by the Avengers bug. Anybody in here seen Endgame? Got some hands in the house. I'm not pointing any fingers, but Andy's watched it twice in two weeks. So that's like six and a half hours of his life these past two weeks approximately. That he's, and he said he's going to go watch it again this week. So that'd be like nine hours that he spent watching Avengers. Okay. So I've been bitten by the bug. So Preston talked me into going to see Endgame. Before we went, we watched Infinity Wars because I needed to get caught up, the movie before, on what was going on. And those of you who know me know that I am less of an action movie girl and I am more of a Hallmark movie girl, right? I like pretty bows, sure happy endings. I like to know what's going to happen and I'll know that I'll be happy and I'll cry at the end. It'll be wonderful, right? So it has surprised me at how much I have enjoyed these Avengers movies. And so when we went to see Endgame, though, I realized that I was really behind and a little confused. So since then, we have been doing some catching up. And I have to say that my favorite one of the Avengers movies so far has been Captain America. I love Captain America. I think my dad's a history teacher. I've always had a fascination uh, with World War II. I love reading about it, love studying it. So something about Captain America being set in World War II just kind of speaks to me, okay? So do y'all remember Steve Rogers? Pre-Captain America, Steve Rogers. Okay, Brian's got a picture he's going to throw up for us to help us remember. This is little Steve Rogers, right? He's skinny. He's short. He's weak, and those of you that have seen the movie, you also remember that he has like a whole host of medical problems that are going to keep him from enlisting in the army. And so, he keeps trying, he doesn't give up, and eventually he is enlisted. But then he goes to training camp and he struggles hard, right? He's the last one to finish. He, he can't um, get it together. He's weak. They're like all kicking his tail. But he agrees to be a part of a science experiment. He was brave. This science experiment could have gone really wrong, right? Like it could have killed him. But he allowed them to inject this super soldier serum into his body so that he would become Captain America. Little bit of a difference here, right? This guy is a little bit stronger, a little bit taller, maybe a little bit faster, a little bit more resilient, maybe just a little bit more handsome. I decided that I was allowed to say that because our friend, Preston, I had lunch with our friend yesterday, who's a huge Avengers fan, and I was telling him that I was going to do this in my sermon, and he said, well, really the Avenger that reminds me the most of Preston is Captain America. So maybe that's why I think he's cute, you know? He looks like my husband. We'll just go with that. Preston, you're definitely this version of Captain America, not little Steve Rogers, okay? So, as I was thinking about this concept of the Holy Spirit, this transformation kept coming to my mind. Because we're all a little bit like pre-Captain America Steve Rogers, where we're standing face to face with Satan. We're a little bit weak. We're short. We're not strong enough. But when we submit to God... And he puts the Holy Spirit in us. It takes up residence in our lives. 
He strengthens us, y'all. He makes us a little bit taller, a little bit stronger, a little bit more resilient. It's like we get this super soldier serum injected in our veins and it courses through our bodies and allows us to be able to stand up against Satan. This is so like God, isn't it? To take our weakness, to take our brokenness, our frailty, our insecurity, and to just inject it with his strength and his power and his mercy and his love to allow us to be able to stand up when we face temptation. So as Christians, y'all, we have access to the Holy Spirit. We have the super soldier serum. It's ours. But how often do we still fight like we're little bitty Steve Rogers pre-Captain America? We try to use our little human weapons, our busyness, our insecurities, our anger, our resentment, our ignorance, instead of the heavenly spiritual weapons that God has made available to us by his death and resurrection. And guys, when I think about you, When I think about you entering these next stages of your life, wherever you find yourself, y'all are going in different directions, but when I think about if there was one thing that I could give to you to take to college, when I prayed about you guys and when I prayed over this message, if I could tell you one thing while I have you as a captive audience one more time, right? It would be... That you would understand the power of the Holy Spirit that is available to you through God. That you would know and be able to taste and experience that power that is given to you. That you are not helpless. That you are not powerless. That you have been given all that you need to be able to follow God in this season of your life. I want to close. I want to invite you guys to come and kneel at the altar. I have a happy, a little token for you to take with you. Do we need to scoot down a little bit or y'all going to fit? Scoot down just a little bit. That way. Congregation, this is a little token. It says, the sword of the spirit put on the full armor of God. It's got the, the scripture verse on it. I want it in your dorm room. I want you all to send me a picture when you get to college. Send me a text to show me where you've put this in your dorm room or in your car or wherever you need to see it to remember that you have the Holy Spirit with you. We're going to close. I'm going to invite everybody to bow their heads with me this morning because I'm going to read this final passage from Romans 8 over us today. And I want us all to be encouraged by it. So if you would bow your heads at this time and I'll close this in prayer. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him generously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God right now interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or powers or danger or sword... No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, 
nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And Jesus, we thank you for that truth this morning, that there is nothing that we can do. There is nothing in this world that can separate us from your love. From the plans that you have given us, the purposes that you have set before the foundations of the earth were formed. God, and right now I pray over each of the students that is kneeling here before me. And we as a church, we pray over them in this time. That as they go forth from this place, wherever they would find themselves, God. That they would always remember how close your presence is to them. That at the end of these Two years, four years, whatever it might be, these, these new years of experiencing freedom, that they would be closer to you than when they went into it. Because we know that that is possible by the power of your spirit. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You guys can be seated. As we close today in our final song, May we remember these truths.